And we're live, pal. I know you love that, Bobcat. Welcome to another episode of the Stewcast, fresh off a huge episode for us. Go check it out. An elite podcast came out last week. Alex Marvez, uh, myself, the Bobcat, uh, our friend that uh, Pest is Alive, and our great friend Ray Handel, all coming on the show. Please check it out. Great shows in the archive, as always. Uh, we got a great show this week, too. I mean, this is we're, – we're on Christmas Day for college football fans everywhere. It's – signing day early 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 signing day and on top of that we've got conference championship games we're going to make a bajillion dollars on alabama we'll get to all the previews with chris van dyne of north coast sports a little bit later on but we're going to start with some uh hot off the well it's not even it hasn't even made the the papers yet we've got some hot breaking news uh coming up later on pertaining to coaching searches, players, stick around. It'll be exciting. But I want to start with recruiting, Bobcat. And this is something me and you love talking about. And before we even jump into it, I want to say this, because I've seen this from other people who, um, you know, either on social media, media or in person and they sit there and they go, oh, well, recruiting, uh, it's so weird. Why would you care about uh, uh, kids in high school? Uh, uh, uh. And I, my, my response to that is we are college football fans. This is our draft. If you're a fan of the Indianapolis Colts, you're going to get excited about the draft, Right but you're drafting kids. You're drafting 20, 21 year old dudes, right? We're, we're drafting 18 year old young men. Sometimes 17. Sometimes 17. It is what it is, but it's our draft. And we care about college football. We love it. I mean, the only people that don't care about the early signing period and national signing day that comes in a couple months in February are uh, Michigan Wolverine fans uh, that are gonna extend Harbaugh for $10 million a year. Oh, well, uh, no, Gaddis I, is going to come back. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to them, but I, that's, I, but it's Michigan fans that don't care about signing periods. Uh, and then you, you look quietly at, at some of these other schools uh, like, like uh, Southern Cal, like Michigan state, like Auburn without a head football coach uh, that are quietly moving up boards now. And, and that's what we're talking about today because any given Saturday we watched LSU last week upset Florida any given Saturday in any given signing period like we're watching Ole Miss Mary Flipness come to the sip boys any given signing day uh, these recruits will flip because like we mentioned they're 16 to 18 years old when they're recruited and they have no allegiance all they want to do is make it to the next level with the best coaching possible the best development possible to make money for their families and this is during a pandemic, one of the greatest things that we can contribute to. And, you know, it, it, I've said it before. You, We've had conversation. You heard me say recruiting matters, but only to a certain extent, right? Right. Uh, five platinum diamonds, you know, I always make that joke, what have you, what, whatever it may be. It, it, it does matter in the sense that it is a health and welfare check 
on your program. How healthy is your program? Where is it at? Where does it fit in the scheme of things? Where's it heading? That type of thing. Now, now there's absolute standouts uh, that, uh, you know, if you get a kid, you go, oh, wow, this, this kid is probably going to be electric at the program changing kids. Yes. Yeah. But those are very rare, very rare. And you get a, a handful of them in every class that you can say with a bullet. I mean, Arch Manning in 23 is going to be a guy like that, but that's down the line, right? Uh, this year, I would say, Stu, this year we don't have a talent like that. I would say this is the first year in probably three, four years since 2015 maybe where we don't have a program-defining uh, recruit. I will – well, not uh, maybe not program-defining, but a recruit that's going to come in and be – a legitimate like you can see that the the rating matches the talent and you can see you can envision uh jack sawyer's that guy uh the brockermeyer twins you can see it like stop it stop it because all right i'm gonna counter you here yes typically in a traditional year you can see and I will agree with you, the Brockermeyer twins at, you know, on the offensive line for Alabama are going to be studs in the next two years, probably. Okay. And, and remember folks, when we talk about this stuff, like the Brockermeyer twins playing offensive line, Alabama right now is a very heavy junior senior class, especially uh, from right guard to left tackle. So, you know, when you talk about Alex Leatherwood, talk about Landon Dickerson those studs they're leaving so that leaves a gap for the Brockermeyer twins to come in and actually define a program off a recruiting class but I will say a lot of these California a lot of these Pennsylvania style recruits that we typically see that are studs at quarterback that are studs at defensive end like Corey Foreman they didn't get a football season this year due to the pandemic and I do feel like a lot of these sites whether it's Yahoo whether it's 247 whether it's rivals, a lot of them did place a lot of weight on these kids, even though they didn't play. We did see some movement with JC Latham coming into the number two spot on 247. Corey Foreman didn't even move. He hasn't played this year. So to say that this year is like other years, I think is disingenuous. Well, no, I I, I was just merely pointing out that right, from what right. I've seen, it looks like these kids translate perfectly at the next level. But they, getting back they, to my original point, though, I will say that that the stars don't actually matter uh, no. when it comes to coaching because if you can't coach up talent, you're going to have a bad time. Uh, that's why schools like Northwestern, like Michigan State, in the past. Uh, you can look at um, a few others, you know, they're not going to get uh, Auburn. Five is, stars, I think you should do Auburn in there too. There's three-star recruits. What Stu is saying is there are three-star recruits that come in. D'Antonio did a good job for a few years there when they Fitzgerald made the does run. a good job there. Uh, I, I think you can make the case. Washington does development. They used development to. was developing there. talent. And lump in Alabama and Ohio State, too, because, you know, you can get five-star players and not coach them up, and they just slide away. Uh, But Alabama and Ohio State can coach up kids. Clemson, too. Yep. Clemson, too. And so that's what we're talking about. I mean, it's it's hand-in-hand. 
but let's start with recruiting. Let's go over some of the big storylines before we start hitting individual teams. What was a big takeaway today for you, Bobcat? I got, so I have two takeaways today. I'm going to start with one at a time and, and get your opinion on it. My biggest takeaway uh, of today is the undefeated Trojan football team of Southern California, USC, uh, and, and Coach Clay Helton coming in strong today. They picked up two stud quarterbacks in Miller Moss and Jackson Dart. Both of them are pro-style quarterbacks sitting at about 6'2", 6'3", over the 200-pound mark. They're four stars, but we don't care about stars. These are pro-style quarterbacks that are going to sling it. We thought earlier uh, this morning, probably around noon, that Jackson Dart out of Draper, Utah, he was recruited by Mel Tucker when uh, Coach Tucker was at uh, Colorado, a.k.a. Colorado. Uh, We thought that Jackson may swing to uh, Michigan State because Miller Moss uh, out of Mission Hills, California, had already signed his letter of intent. Uh, but this is going to be an interesting uh, development going forward, probably next year, especially with the NCAA changing the rules on the one-time transfer uh, of talent post-pandemic where you can play immediately. Uh, Miller and Jackson are going to be competing for that number two role there at Southern Cal. I think whoever finishes outside of that number two role is going to transfer because these are I, I would put them in the class of, you know, a generational talent at quarterback. If you watch the film on Jackson, Jackson can beat you with his feet and with his arm. Miller Moss is really not going to scramble outside of the pocket much. He looks a little lethargic, but his arm strength and precision and accuracy overall is just insane. He can thread the needle. That's just the quarterback position from USC today. They also picked up Kyron Ware Hudson out of Santa Ana, Cal- Santa Ann, California. Uh, wide receiver sitting at 6'2", 200 pounds. He's got a huge frame. He has a wide range. Uh, I mean, he can catch just about anything thrown at him. I think this is a great class uh, for, for the Trojans. They're sitting at 11 right now, second overall in the, in the Pac-12. They're right on the heels of Oregon. We'll get into Mario Cristobal and his possible exit to Auburn later in the show. Uh, but right now, man, Coach Helton, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think his seat is safe. They're playing Oregon this weekend. The early signing period has been extended a little bit due to COVID. Watch for him to steal some recruits, Mr. Steal Your Girl. But 19 of those recruits today signed uh, their letter of intent. They're moving up. Uh, Last year, they were 64th total in recruiting. They're sitting at 11th nationally right now. Uh, And remember, second in the Pac-12. Last year, they were 12th in the Pac-12. Uh, so, and next year they're sitting at number one already. I know it's a little early, uh, but this is a really good class. That is my number one takeaway uh, of the early signing period today. Merry Christmas. I, uh, I, I like what Clay Helton's done. I mean, they're, they are finally keeping some kids on the West Coast and you're not seeing a mass exodus. And that's, that's really key. That's absolutely key for USC to become viable again. Is Clay Helton a good coach? That's another discussion. But he needs to get talent in there, and he they need to start producing a little bit more. That Pac-12 is just oh, it's so rotten though. Uh, it's hard to get excited. Oh, man, it, it's so. I would I would say the Pac-12 is abysmal. Um, Colorado losing last weekend 
uh, this past weekend didn't didn't do them any justice. I, we really love watching, you know, a team like the Buffs get up there uh, and, and compete at such a high level. And then you have this this just botched Pac-12 uh, championship game. Uh, it's really difficult to get excited for the Pac-12. I would say after the Reggie Bush uh, and, and Coach Pete era. Uh, really difficult to really get up and, and root for them. I would say even like your your Oregon teams in 2014, 2012 to 2014, you you were kind of rooting for them with all the different uniforms. But I, I think Coach Helton's on the right path here, Alan. I really do. I really think they're doing really great things in California. They're keeping they're keeping like you said they're keeping recruits in state. Like remember Najee Harris came from California, Antioch, California, uh, to play at Alabama. Right. And there's been a couple of others, but Najee Harris is probably the number one in the past, you know, three, four years uh, to come out of California. He was a USC commit for a minute, for a second, uh, but ended up leaving to come to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, and on that same note, we're, we're going to go to my second takeaway if you're ready for it, Stu. Yeah, go for it. My second takeaway today is talking about keeping kids in state. And going to the state to your south, uh, your big rival is is the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, right now, they're sitting at, at 10th overall nationally. They're doing a little bit better than what I initially thought they would do at the beginning of the day. They kept Xavier Worthy, excuse me, and, and then they kept uh, the running back. What's his name? Edwards, Donovan, Donovan Edwards. Edwards. And but Donovan Don- Edwards is a – I mean, this guy is explosive. Playing out of West Bloomfield, uh, Scott Bernstein was on uh, this very show uh, a couple months back talking about Donovan Edwards and how he might be the best high school player he's seen in the state of Michigan. I mean, this guy is a game breaker. How that fits in whatever you want to call that Michigan offense right now, that'll be interesting to watch. And I will, speaking of, of Donovan Edwards, I'll give you guys my, my schematic, my X's and O's breakdown here. So he's very strong. He's muscular, sitting at five foot 10. You know, he'll probably play at Michigan at about 220, 230 build. So you're talking about like a Josh Jacobs, Alabama, Josh Jacobs, Oakland Raiders type build. He's explosive, good burst, hit a home run on you at any time. He's tough between the tackles. He's a fantastic pass catcher but he's functional uh, as a blocker. So that, that is a really, really good trait to have in the new era of offenses. I think that, you know, obviously you got to get rid of Coach Gaddis there, an offensive coordinator. Uh, I can't really find any glaring weaknesses that he's got. Uh, I, I think he's got to gain weight, though, at the next level, especially in the Big Ten, where the Big Ten has not evolved as rapidly as. And I'm going to lump Notre Dame into the ACC here. Uh, just for a fact that they're playing in the ACC this year. But if you look at the the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC, where all these offenses are quickly scoring, I mean, within like minutes uh, uh, of game time here, where the, you know, the defense is quickly back on the field. Uh, in the Big 10, we're not really seeing that unless you're Ohio State, where you're going to have to run the football, get them to respect the play action, get them to respect the pass. I think that he is a complete back. He can play in any scheme, whether he went to Michigan State or whether he went to Michigan or whether he went to Alabama. I like him to an Alvin Kamara more than I like him to a Josh Jacobs right now. 
because if he stays at about the 210, 215 range, he's an Alvin Kamara. If he gets up to the 220, 230 range, which I, I really think that he will and he can, uh, I think he's a second-round NFL draft pick in the future. Uh, I mean, he is a phenomenal back. Uh, I know I, I kind of made Stu mad this morning because I thought that he was actually going to flip uh, and, and go to Michigan State this morning. But here's some breaking news. As of right now at 4.50 p.m. Eastern time on the 16th of December, he has not yet signed his letter of intent to play for Michigan. He is a commit, but he has not yet submitted his LOI. That is, as of 4.51 right now, no letter of intent in. So I did uh, see him uh, about an hour and a half ago on the Big Ten Network talking to Mike Hall wearing a Michigan hat. So I mean that. So that's all fine and dandy, but until you submit that financial aid to the Big Ten, until you submit that national letter of intent to the NCAA, and until you submit that letter of intent to the school, there's three forms of paper that they have to fill out. And until he does that, he is not a Wolverine as of yet. But here's another bright spot for all you Wolverine fans out there. IMG Academy's pro-style quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, signed his letter of intent today. I think he is a phenomenal quarterback. I think this is something that Harbaugh has needed for a long time now. It's not Wilton Spaeth. Uh, This is a really, really, really good quarterback. He's coming in with Xavier Worthy. Xavier Worthy, six foot one, 160 pounds now. Keep in mind, Devontae Smith for Alabama, he might be listed at 185, but he's playing at like 170, 175. Xavier Worthy does give me weird flashbacks to Devontae Smith. Remember when Devontae Smith caught that second and 24 touchdown pass from two in the national championship game. Skinny little fella, fast as hell, really good route runner. I think him and JJ, they're already in a group chat together. I think they're building rapport. I think that's going to be a really good combo in two to three years. Uh, Also, I I do think you're burying the lead though here, and that is – we have a coach that is still yet to sign his, yeah. his contract extension. And, and here's my wild theory, Bobcat. And I called you yesterday. You were busy. I wanted to, I want to run this theory by you. I think Michigan after the Penn state game said, Oh God, we're going to go play Maryland and Talia Tungavailoa is going to throw all over us. We're going to lose to Maryland. We can't afford that, especially after we're going to get waxed by Ohio state. Ryan day already said he's going to put a hundred up. Um, I think they said, okay, well, we have COVID, we have COVID positive. So contact trace. Most of the most of the guys out are contact trace. That's that's most of them, right? And so they're like, okay, we can't afford we for the optics. We can't afford two bad losses, really bad losses. So they get past Ohio State game and they're like, whew, okay, we had a great practice Sunday. We got together as a team and we practice. Great practice, right? And then the Big Ten hollered at him, said, ooh, you got Iowa this Saturday. Michigan said, oh, we're sick again because you can't get blown out by Iowa when you still have kids who haven't signed their LOIs. True. You're right. And they they still have to sell a contract extension for Jim Harbaugh. 
he has yet to sign it. And I've heard him say, oh, I, I want to be here at Michigan. Then why haven't you signed a contract? I, I think because we're, you know, our sources are telling us, Alan, that this is going to be a very incentive-based contract. And I don't necessarily know for a fact that Ohio State each year is in that incentive. Like, if you're telling me that I'm going to make $500,000 more or less each year dependent on that Ohio State game, I'm probably not going to sign your contract. But if it's Michigan State and it's, you know, Indiana, then, yeah, I'm probably going to sign that contract. But when you when you look at it, so I do think that Jim Harbaugh has done – a very, very good job this year, not so much in the state of Michigan and Ohio, but if we look at Junior Colson, he's out of Brentwood, Tennessee. He's a line outside linebacker. He's six foot two, two thirty ish, you know, runs like a, a four, six, four, seven speed in the 40. I think he's like a Michael divinity from LSU really good nickel linebacker can, can play a guy like Kyle Pitts. Uh, at tight end, he's he has really good ball skills, very athletic. If you're able to go down to Brentwood, Tennessee, and steal him away from the Auburn Tigers, yes, the Auburn Tigers are head coachless, uh, but he was able to get him today. He signed his LOI, uh, like I said, out of Brentwood, Tennessee. Tennessee and Auburn were hot on his trail. Also, Arkansas picked up steam. This is an SEC caliber outside linebacker uh, today with Harbaugh getting him. I think that that is a really, really, really good thing for Michigan fans. Uh, I mean, if, if we go over the totality of, of, of Michigan recruits here, uh, Texas, Tennessee, uh, in New Jersey and Florida, the, in California even. They got two recruits out of California, three out of Florida, two out of New Jersey, one out of Tennessee, two out of Texas. That is a win in my book uh, uh, for Michigan here. This right here tells you with two – what's he got, a year left after this year or two years, Alan? On his current contract, is it one, got year one year One year. This tells you right now if he signs an extension that's incentive-based, which I think he will because the NFL is not calling. All of what, our sources what, yeah, have told what, us. What I, my understanding is it's going to be approximately two and a half to three million base salary with – incentives to beat Michigan state, to beat Penn state, to beat Ohio state, to get to a bowl, to get to the CFP, big 10, big 10 championship, big 10 championship, all the things but this, he can't do and hasn't done. Uh, if he, if he solidifies this top 10 last year, he's 14. If he solidifies this top 10 this year and next year, uh, I, I think that that's all of the rope you give him. He'll either, he'll either use the rope to help himself or hurt himself. He's still second overall in the Big Ten. He's finished second overall in the Big Ten the last, like, four years behind Ohio State. I think that's everything you could expect from Jim Harbaugh at this point. If he competes next year, which I think this team right now is very young, I think J.J. McCarthy coming in as a quarterback, I think Xavier Worthy coming in as a wide receiver, even Giovanni El Hadid, who is the offensive tackle recruit that they got? He's like six. Man, six, fuck that kid! I tell you I, what, he went to a shit high school, Sterling Heights, Michigan. Yeah, went to a <laughs> shit high school, Adelaide Stevenson High School. Yeah, shout out to Adelaide Stevenson. But They're if you get crap. these guys and you're getting these guys, like he even got a guy, uh, you know, out of California, Christian Dixon, but here's wide the receiver. Problem. Here, here, here's what I'll ask you: How many kids you get out of Ohio? 
None. One. And, and one. here's my thing. Free Press, Detroit Free Press, did a, a fantastic article. Jim Harbaugh, his recruiting tactic of I'm not going to get anybody from Ohio. There's 12 players on the entire football roster. Ask me who from- he got out of Ohio, though. Who? Just ask me. He got Rod Moore, the safety out of Northmont, out of Clayton, Ohio. Ask me who Rod Moore was committed to before today. Who? Air Force. There you go. That tells you all you need to know, guys. So, so my thing is, is in Ohio, historically, Michigan and Michigan State have done really well with getting kids out of Ohio. They're not going there. Penn State's not going there. So who is? Cincinnati, Kentucky, few others, right? They're they're mining the extra Cincinnati. Talent. Cincinnati and Kentucky are doing a really good, excuse me, a really good job of recruiting the leftovers of Ohio State. Yep, and or, Michigan State. I, I, I shouldn't. Let me let me retract that statement. It's not the leftovers. These are kids that are legit ballers that would start anywhere other than Ohio State. And, that's and they the want to stay local. And you've got a great recruiting base there. Mel has Mel didn't exploit it very much in this recruiting class, but Michigan, 12 kids. And this is a state that's given them Charles Woodson. It's given them a ton of players in the past. Yeah. Meanwhile, for again, for another season, I see Jim Harbaugh going to Massachusetts and Connecticut. You kidding me? You like that's where you're gonna go. Hey, I'm all for it. I want the guy to stay there forever. Uh, it, it's great news for me, but like I, I just don't understand why you don't recruit Ohio, which is clearly in that conversation with the Texas, with the Florida. With uh, with Georgia, with Alabama, as recruiting hotbeds. I, well, I would I wouldn't go that far, Alan, but they're close. But let me tell you, there's a team that recruited Ohio, that's not Kentucky, Cincinnati, or a team in Ohio, better than Michigan, and that is the LSU Tigers. Oh, yeah. They got Corey Kiner out of Roger Bacon in Cincinnati, the, the four-star running back. He signed his LOI today. That is my third takeaway is the LSU Tigers, which are sitting at number three overall. They Nashville. just got Mason Smith. They, yeah, they, they, they just got Mason Smith, a defensive tackle from, from Yuma, Louisiana. But, you know, from five-star – like, stars are irrelevant, like we mentioned – that's their only five star, but they have Derek Davis Jr. They got Deion Smith, Chris Hilton, Garrett Newsmeyer, Garrett Dillinger, Landon Jackson. They have eight recruits from their home state. Eight out of their entire 16 LOIs are from their home state. And then if you look next door at Mississippi or Texas, they got three apiece there. So that's six total recruits from next door states. So that's the point that Stu and I are trying to make is that if you want to win a national championship, like the defending national champions, the LSU Tigers did, you have to go next door. You have to go into your rival state of Alabama and you have to recruit very well. Now, albeit they have zero recruits from the state of Alabama, LSU does, while Alabama has four recruits from the state of Louisiana. But you're talking Nick Saban versus Coach Ogeron. 
This is we're talking Ryan Day versus Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh has more success historically than Ryan Day at both levels. Whether we're talking Stanford, Michigan, the 49ers, or his bloodline in the NFL with his brother in Baltimore. Does he have a lot of uh, college football uh, success? I think he, I think if we're talking time in a head coaching position, he has more time. He has, he does experience, but I think Ryan day has been far more successful. Ryan day has been far more successful in less amount of time because of urban Meyer. If urban Meyer hadn't come before Ryan day, I don't know if we would be having the same conversation. Plus it's the Ohio state. And I'll say it louder. It's the Ohio state university. It's the Bosa brothers. It's chase young, which I'll retract my previous statement. Chase (laughs) young is an absolute fucking monster in the NFL. You're welcome. Uh, Thank you. I was about to say you're welcome, but thank you. Uh, Yeah. So it, you know, he has the, like, I will quote a friend of the pod. It's the brand right? It's the media market brand of the Ohio State Buckeyes. The University of Michigan does not have that same brand. It's not even comparable. Well, but that's you know, the recruiting. Just, that's that's yeah, the recruiting I'm joy. I'm just surprised that Alabama got to where they did after being uh, ranked 47th in the country for so long. But uh, <laughs> let's let's go. Uh, okay, so give me some quick takes on teams that that made a jump up, teams that made a jump down in your estimation. So a team that made a jump up, like I mentioned uh, just a second ago, are the LSU Tigers. Uh, I'm not going to get get too much into the weeds there. Another team that made a jump up that that historically were like, ah, you know. Uh, last year they finished 18th overall. Uh, they finished number one in the independence all, all the time, but it's, it's the Notre Dame, you know, the fighting Irish. Uh, I think this year playing in the ACC, I think this actually lays the foundation for them to join a conference, whether that's the PAC 13, AKA PAC 12, the ACC, the big 11, whatever they want to play in. Well, you know, Notre Dame, you got to pick a conference. It does you better. Uh, in, in the long run, a team that has fallen for me, though, that I thought would do significantly better, but they just painted the rock with fire. Jeremy Pruitt uh, is the Tennessee football team, the Volunteers. Uh, right now, they're sitting at 15th. Last year, you know, they finished in the top 10. Uh, I, they lost a lot of recruits today to Auburn, to Ole Miss. Uh, and if you're in the SEC right now and a recruit decommits from you and he's from the state of Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Georgia, or uh, Arkansas, he's probably going to Ole Miss. I hate to tell you that, uh, but Lane Kiffin's done a phenomenal job there. So Tennessee has fallen for me. Another team that is a quick riser is Sam Pittman in the Arkansas Razorbacks. Penn State, another really, really good team. Let me just go over the Penn State recruiting class. I thought the Penn State recruiting class was awful. I thought they – I thought – I don't understand what James Franklin is doing. Comparative – to what he's done in the past, yes, it would it would seem that it's awful. But, but no, he's year, he's given up on Pennsylvania. But in a in a year where they're not performing to the standard of the Nittany Lions tradition of Joe Pa, I do think that this is a recruiting class that is a riser to me because I didn't see this coming. If you would have asked me three weeks ago if I thought Penn State would have finished in the top 25 of recruiting classes this year after early signing period, I would have said you're smoking crack. Not going to happen. 
never in a million years, especially after the Maryland football game, because they even went into only Maryland, which is in Montgomery County, Maryland, and got Landon Tegwall, the offensive tackle. That's like six foot eight, 300 plus pounds. He's a four star. He's in, he's literally maybe a 15 minute drive from the fighting turtles campus. And he decides to go to happy Valley. He signed his letter of intent today. Uh, and they even picked up Lonnie White Jr., the wide receiver out of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Alabama was hot on his fucking ass all year long. He's the number 34 wide receiver in the country. He is just a monster at 6'2", 210 pounds. I mean, he looks like Megatron playing against high school players in Pennsylvania, which, I mean, it's it's high school football in Pennsylvania. But again, Lonnie White Jr. coming there out of Pennsylvania is huge. And then he went to Michigan out of Detroit and got the cornerback, Kalen King. I and really his brother. Think, yes. And his, Kalen and his brother, and Kobe. Kobe. Yeah, Kobe, the inside linebacker. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that that was a win for him, especially given the year that they've had. Uh, also, another win out of the Big Ten is Nebraska. I never thought Nebraska would have jumped up 17 spots to 23 today. Um, and then I, I think the overall the the biggest faller today, moving from 46 to 52, uh, is your your Auburn Tigers football team today. Yeah, they they mopped up today, getting Blunt High School out of Pritchard, Alabama. Lee Hunter, the defensive tackle, he's a five star in my eyes. He's a four star on two four seven. Uh, Lee Hunter was being hunted pretty heavily by Mel Tucker, pretty heavily by Coach Saban uh, out of Mobile, which Mel Tucker knows Mobile very very well. Uh, I mean, this was just a huge get for them. This is going back to, to old school Auburn mentality. This is a Kevin Seal, Kevin Steele signing all day long. Uh, I think he's number six overall for defensive tackles, sitting at 6'5", 300 pounds. Um, and then they even got Amari Harvey and Demetrius Davis. Demetrius Davis, that dual threat quarterback out of the North Shore, Houston, Texas. Uh, same area that Jalen Hurts comes from. He's about 5'11", 6 foot, 200 pounds, very quick. I think he runs a 4-4-40. That is an Auburn quarterback all day. Um, I mean, just he's going to blow you away. He looks like Derek King uh, right now out of high school. So I, I, I just – Auburn today, man, they surprised me and they disappointed me. They don't have a head football coach. I did, I did not think that they would finish 12th overall in the SEC, though, Alan didn't think that like yeah, the, only, the only two teams in in front of them are you guessed it Vanderbilt and South Carolina yeah it's tough it's real tough uh if you're an Auburn Tiger fan we're gonna get to them in a moment uh but before we do I am gonna bring on my buddy Paul from the scoop on the U to give us a lowdown on a really good Miami Hurricanes recruiting class and talk a little bit about the state of Florida, which always plays a role uh, come recruiting, uh, signing periods, signing day in general. So we're going to head to him right now. Pleasure to be joined at this time with my guy, Paul from The Scoop on the U. Check him out on YouTube. Check him out on Twitter. Paul Scoop one on Twitter. Paul, what up, bro? Oh man, thanks for uh, having me back on the. Uh, um, your time, you know, to give me an opportunity to come on your show. So thank you so much. 
Hey, no worries, brother. I, I, I truly appreciate you coming on. I, I wanted to talk Miami and Florida uh, recruiting in general. How, how was today for the uh, Hurricanes? Yeah, today was great. Um, you know, everyone that was committed in the class signed. There was no drama. There was no flipping at all. And, um, yeah, they signed pretty efficiently. There really wasn't any, you know, first signing day. Florida State or Alabama, I mean, some other schools. So, job we picked up on a quarterback over two years, Garcia, four-star quarterback originally from Southern California, played his last year of high school football in the state of Georgia. And he's a really good prospect. I think he has uh, the tools to start at the power five level. How good of a quarterback he'll be, I don't know. There's a ton of four-star quarterbacks out there. You know, it's how good are they going to develop at the next level? And I think Rhett Lashley is very good at developing quarterbacks. So I think he'll be in a great offensive system. But overall, this was a really nice, solid class. Um, first time since 2010 since Miami reels in two five-star recruits in their class. So I thought that was a very key stat. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, obviously we talk about on your show every Wednesday night, we talk about how important it is for Miami to keep the kids at home in Miami-Dade County. But, you know, winning some recruiting battles against Florida is pretty big, no? Yeah. And that was a thing, too. There was a high school in Miami called Miami Palmetto Senior High School. Jeff Bezos actually is a, a notable alumni from there. So when people tell you, hey, you can't get a good education through public school, like, well, just look at Jeff Bezos. He's the richest man in the world. All right. Going back to college football, um, Miami Palmetto Senior High School has four kids um, that are like really highly touted recruits, Corey Collier. Leonard Taylor, Brashard Smith, and Jason Marshall Jr. Miami got two of those guys, and Florida got two of those guys. So they split both of them. Right now in recruiting in the state of Florida, I'll give Florida the edge because they play in the SEC. Um, it's very tough. It's very tough to recruit against SEC schools in general. This is coming from an ACC coach. SEC plays a very uh, dirty game in recruiting. That is coming from an ACC coach. Um, so it's difficult, but Miami's got to win football games if they want to beat out Florida for these uh, recruits. So I'll keep it simple with that. In in your time covering Miami, what what is the big change in Florida that you've seen, like the state in general as far as recruiting? Is it just kids going to Florida because – I, you know, Florida's had down years, up and down years. Florida State's had their years. Miami obviously has had years. Is there like a overarching theme? I, it's it's the assistant coaches, Jimbo Fisher. Man, he's doing a tremendous job since his time at Florida State in recruiting in South Florida, and now he's at Texas A and M, and they're just snagging kids left and right. Man, they're doing a tremendous job, and believe it or not, they're getting the kids Miami doesn't want in their class which may be a four-star wide receiver four-star running back that they just don't have room for they value another recruit over those players texas a&m will go down and snag those players such as a yoki brown 
wide receiver out of Miami Central, four-star recruit, and Amari Daniels, four-star running back. He's five foot eight. That's why Miami didn't take him. He's too short. Um, his measurements are kind of undersized at the running back position, looking for a bigger body. That's another four-star recruit that goes to Texas A&M. So there's a lot of programs that really just snag a lot of recruits. Georgia with Kirby Smart and his coaching staff, they're in South Florida. Penn State tries. They don't do the best job. Alabama does a very good job. Ohio State under Urban Meyer, Meyer used to kill it. And then Florida State's trending downward and then Florida as well. So Miami's biggest competition, I would say, is Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and Texas A&M, a snagging from the state of Florida. It, you know, looking nationally, what was the big takeaway? Because I know you were glued to the, to the wire to see who was going where. Is there a big takeaway you have from today? We're going to finish in the top 10. This is a Everyone that was a part of this class was a hard commit. There was no playing games with other programs. They wanted to play at the University of Miami. And I think these are kids who are not going to transfer out after a year or two years. They're going to stick through their commitment. And I think this is a new profile, a new uh, player personality Miami is taking on. They may not get that five-star recruit with off-the-field issues such as Terrence Lewis because of his personality but they're taking kids who fit that personality they want and just kind of the description they want to represent the university of miami football program oh where can the good people check out your channel check me out man we just did a show with the stew cast on the scoop on the u i actually did a national early signing day show which was awesome i did a jake garcia video why i'm stoked that he's a miami hurricane Check me out on YouTube, The Scoop on the U. Check out my show with the Stewcast. He is killing it, man. Breaking news. He's a young Anderson Cooper in the making. Go check him out as well, man. So that's all I got. <laughs> I'll take I'll take uh, poor man's Adam Schefter. <laughs> like a poor, a very poor man that doesn't qualify for welfare, Adam Schefter. You can be one of those uh, poor men that hang around Ann Arbor, right? Shots fired. Not me. <laughs> Not by me. Hey, Paul, we'll catch you. And remember, next Wednesday, every Wednesday during the college football season, and I'm sure in the offseason we'll get together on some things, but every Wednesday night, scoop on the U. Check us out. Paul, always a pleasure. Thank you, man, and we will be back right after this. What's going on? It's Matt Bernier from the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. Be sure to join us every Monday, occasionally Tuesdays, but for the most part, every Monday, however you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, whether it's YouTube, you name it, you can find it a million different places, including InTheMoneyPodcast.com. It's the Matt Bernier Show. Anything and everything to do with the world of horse racing. All right. Thanks again to Paul. From the scoop on the U, you can catch it on YouTube. Uh, I will be on there tonight or last night, depending on when you're hearing this. Uh, so please check that out. Give it a give it a view. Give it a like and uh, subscribe. He's a good dude. Uh, let's get to some of that hot hot stove news that uh, we've been cooking up over here at the Stewcast now. Somebody said to me on Twitter the other day, 
you have 240 followers. I doubt that you have any kind of any kind of information that's worthwhile. Well, let me tell you something. In this business, in this game, it's not about what you know, it's who you know. And myself and the Bobcat are privileged enough to have some friends in pretty high places. Uh, Garth Brooks could write a song about it. Who knows? Bobcat, let's start with this Auburn coaching gig. Uh, I mean, it's the elephant in the room. We were just talking about Auburn's recruiting uh, today being a little bit less than because that coach isn't in place. But there's been a lot of movement on this on this topic. Can you tell us what the latest is? Yeah. So uh, let me let me just caveat for the fuck boy that that decided to to tweet at you for the number of followers that you have. Um, so the Bobcat, John Castorani. Uh, you can Google it. I'll spell it out for you if you need to. Uh, I ran for Congress in Alabama, so I've got friends in in high places at both schools. At uh, even at Jacksonville State. So. Shout out to Oxford and, and shout out uh, to Neon Dion, man. All <laughs> right, shout out to Dion Sanders' bloodline. Both of his kids going to school there um, in Alabama. But uh, the th- the thing is, so uh, here at uh, the Stewcast, we do have sources. We're not going to name those sources, uh, obviously, because they they spend a lot of money uh, t- to be where they are and do what they do. Uh, so as Stu probably reported last week, I don't know. Um, I wasn't on the show last week, uh, but we talked to a couple of our sources. Uh, the Kevin Steele rumors are false. That is just a smokescreen. Uh, I told Stu on Sunday, we'll probably see a committee be formed. You know, it's in Atlanta now to find a new head coach. Uh, the, the coach that every booster wants, except for one, <laughs> I won't name him either, uh, is Mario Cristobal from Oregon. Mario Cristobal was offered an amount of money, just over $5 million. He took that to Oregon or his agent took that to Oregon. Oregon matched it. Auburn then sent him another sum of money. Oregon then quickly matched it. If you Google the news right now, I mean, it's 12-16, so it's Wednesday. Uh, If you Google that now, you'll see that the Oregon board is going to have a meeting tomorrow on 12-17 on Thursday uh, to, to vote on this second offer that Auburn offered the Oregon head football coach to see if they can match it. Um, Mario Cristobal is your dude. It's not Hugh Freeze. It's not Kevin Steele. Hugh Freeze for his lack of institutional control. Uh, I know that they did it with Bruce Pearl to that one booster that wanted him uh, from Tennessee. That's great finding Nandy. Uh, but if they don't get Mario Cristobal, it looks like everything is on the table for, for Steve Sarkeesian out of Alabama, the Alabama offensive coordinator, and everything, again, will be on the table for Lane Kiffin. I know that Lane Kiffin did deny them, uh, but but right now it seems that the boosters are highly pissed off uh, that Oregon has matched the second offer. Uh, keep in mind, folks, that uh, Auburn is a very, very, very good head coaching position, and Auburn has the money during a pandemic to pay your ass 21 and $750,000. Uh, so $21,750,000. And they're going to pay out Kevin Steele's $5.125 million contract. They're going to pay out Chad Morris's $1.5 million contract at offensive coordinator just to win the football games during a pandemic, which is unheard of. 
Um, and they're not going to just do that to get Kevin Steele. No way, no how. He was, what, 1-31 in 31 in conference play or something ridiculous when he was a head football coach 19 years ago at Baylor. Something stupid like that. Um, but keep in mind that every year Alabama has to play – or excuse me, Auburn has to play Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin, Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher, Georgia – Every year, and every year, Ole Miss, Alabama, and Georgia are always home and away on the same schedule. And let us not forget that next year they do a home and home with an away game at Penn State next year. Uh, so any head football coach that comes in uh, has to face that scrutiny. Um, so just keep in mind Auburn is going to find a head football coach that that is going to win football games, going to recruit very well. They have to recruit South Alabama. They have to recruit Mississippi, Texas, Florida, South Florida, the Panhandle, Georgia. They have to recruit that area very well. Uh, I, I, my heart goes out to Gus Malzahn, who is a great person, never says a curse word. Him and his wife, Christy, go to Waffle House every Sunday morning after a football game. And to be dancing with your team in Starkville after a really hard-fought victory, holding them to 19 rushing yards, that's the lowest total Auburn's ever allowed since 2004 under Coach Tuberville. Uh, I, I think that that was devastating to hear, even as an Alabama fan. I talk a lot of shit about Auburn, especially on here. Uh, but it, I, I talked about it for a while that Gus Malzahn was on his way out. Uh, and it's unfortunate because he has beaten Nick Saban three out of eight times, which not even Hugh Freeze did that. So let, let's just acknowledge the, the hard work. And when you see former players and, and present players coming out and saying, man, that hurts, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I think that says a lot. Malzahn cared about his players. Malzahn cared about Lee County, Alabama. He cared about the state of Alabama. He didn't recruit five-star after five-star after five-star. He developed a lot of these players, right? And I think he's going to make a fantastic coach out at Arizona now that Kevin Sumlin's gone uh, or, you know, somewhere else. I think maybe he'll take a year off, collect his money, count his $100 Arizona bills. Arizona would not be the job for him. Well, I, th I think he would do well there. Well, but yeah, hopefully, I think there's a lot of places he would do well at. I just I think Arizona is a job that you're you're not going to get a Gus Mills on. Yeah, I mean you you could you could fire up the Brinks truck and it still probably won't be enough because it is Arizona. He well, let's keep in mind when he came into Auburn as an offensive coordinator under Chiswick, and then he was named head coach. He didn't make a ton of money until he started beating Nick Saban with the kick six and you know, everything that came along with the lucky catch in, uh, in at Athens at Sanford Stadium and then the kick six a week later or two weeks later, he made more money. Yeah, he made like five, $6 million a year. But, like, he's not a money-hungry guy. You know, all four of his kids, his two daughters and his two son-in-laws all graduated from Auburn. I well, feel it, for at the very least, Arizona is not – it's not a prime job. I think for, for Gus Malzahn to be given a job in the SEC, it would have had to have been Auburn or his home state of Arkansas. And Auburn had a, 
a chance to let him go. What was it? Two years ago. Yeah. To the Arkansas job. And they kept, they extended him and paid him more money. And it, to me, if you can beat Nick, Gus Malzahn is a great tech technician of offensive football. And I think he would give the PAC 12 absolute fits. And I think that that's a job that fits him very well, but I do, I, in my heart of hearts out, Stu, I do believe that he's going to wipe away his tears with his wife, Christy and his kids with the hundred dollar bills that Auburn and the boosters are going to be paying. him, And he'll take a year off and he'll, he'll maybe come and sign, you know, with, with a, with a bigger name school later down the road, maybe next year, maybe a year after, but maybe, Gus Malzahn maybe one in South Florida. Maybe one in South Florida. I was thinking more of the panhandle of Florida when Florida state just burns to a million pits of shit, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that's my, that, that was my thinking is, is there in, in the panhandle of Florida or even rearing his ugly head at the university of Tennessee and giving Nick Saban fits every year in October. God, Nick would hate that. Uh, we're going to, we're going to hold off on the other piece of hot Intel for the college football preview show and we'll have you mix it in there. So stay tuned for that. And before we transition to that, that show uh, with Chris Van Dyne of North coast sports, I, I had to read this to you uh, a guy on Twitter. I'm not, I'm going to butcher his name, but he, uh, he said, it's weird how national signing day is also the, the busiest day for car dealerships in the state of Alabama. Got a kick out of that. <laughs> that's I mean, actually pretty funny. I mean, that's, is he wrong? Probably not. <laughs> Especially um, Nick Saban's Mercedes-Benz dealership there in Cottondale, Alabama. Shout out Cottondale. <laughs> All right. We're going to be back right after these words uh, with Chris Van Dyne, the Bobcat. We're going over conference championship weekend. Uh, if you want to fast forward, we're, we're all picking Alabama, but listen, we got other games right after this. Hey everybody, it's Stu from the Stucast inviting you to check out the starter allowance podcast hosted by Andrew Grismore every single week. He's dropping great content with amazing guests and a lively handicapping round table looking at big races every single week across the country. Check him out wherever you're getting your podcasts. He is part of the StuCast Sports Network. Let's go play some ponies and let's cash some tickets. All right, we're back with the college football preview show. Joined as always by the Bobcat, John Cassarani, and our great friend, Chris Van Dyne from North Coast Sports. Gentlemen, good evening. Thanks for coming on. Big weekend this weekend. Uh, thanks for having us back. Yeah, hey. man, it's been, a, it's been a couple weeks now for me, so I'm it's, happy to be yeah. here. Yeah. We missed you last week, Bobcat. I was not on here last week, man. No, it was just me and you, Chris. When yeah. – you know, I'm a first-time expecting parent, expectant father. Uh, so things come up, guys. I I appreciate you guys holding out. Uh, North Coast Sports does a better job than I do, so I'm sure. Uh, I had no picks last week anyway. 
Uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure you made worse. money. I'm sure you made money last week by not listening to me. Uh, so we'll keep it up this week. Well, combined, me and Chris went uh, six and three. So we, we did pretty well. Uh, hopefully we get back and, and increase that lead. Before we do, bowl season's almost here. Uh, Chris, uh, we were talking about it a little bit uh, before we started taping. I love the way that Power Sweep kind of just goes over the bowl game. And these bowl games are tough. I mean, you get some real killer teams playing each other that, uh, you know, on paper seem to match up really well. And you guys do a great job breaking down all the stats and everything. Where can people find this? And uh, how, how, how difficult is it to write these big blurbs for, for two teams that probably shouldn't be playing each other? Well, uh, first you can go to ncsports.com. We are normally we do one big bowl issue, and it's twenty five dollars for the bowl issue, uh, and we do a pick for every every game. But uh, this year it has to be broken up into separate issues, obviously, because if we wait to find out what some of the games are, that are being played in a couple weeks, uh, half the game, like six of the games, are going to be over already. But uh, so this current issue of Power Sweep, uh, you can go on ncsports.com and purchase for $10. Uh, this has six bowl games in it. And, uh, you know, well, actually five because one of them got canceled already. But, you know, we, we do a checklist. We go position by position on breakdown. We have a checklist that breaks down each position and who we give the edge to. Uh, and we, uh, we have stats for every team. And then also we have uh, about four paragraphs worth of write-up that – uh, or dedicated to the team's bowl histories, how they've done ATS, uh, how, they, how they did during the season, what their expectations were, uh, and how they ended up finishing, some statistical uh, stuff, you know, uh, things that kind of uh, help us analyze this game in particular, and then finally our pick. We do a lot of star-rated plays in bowl games. Uh, based on the early lines. I think we've got some, some good stuff this week. It, it is tough because, you know, these are kind of weird situations. Like, you know, normally we look at location and stuff like that. But, for instance, uh, Nevada and Tulane, location would normally be a pretty big deal for Nevada, having a little bit of an edge uh, bringing fans. Or App State, who's playing basically, you know, not far from home uh, in, uh, in, in Conway, South Carolina, against the North Texas team that's traveling a long way. But not going to be a lot of fans at those games, so I don't know how much location edge is actually going to matter. Um, <clears throat> but they're, 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 it takes a while to write them, but it is a lot of fun. I have a good time doing it. And you get some good games. That App State, North Texas game is going to be really interesting. I'm really looking forward to Nevada Tulane. Well, before before we wrote that, uh, that App State game, uh, we thought Jalen Darden was playing. He opted out at the last minute. He's basically their entire offense for North Texas. Yeah. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, we got a two-check edge for uh, North Texas in that game, but that's pretty much erased by their best player and their entire team opting out of this game. So you're saying get App State now the moment you're listening to this? I, I think I would. I think I would. Okay. Well, I'm logging on, and while we're going to be talking about our first game of the conference preview, uh, I, I will be I will be betting App State. Uh, we're going to go to the AAC. Uh, two podcast teams 
go head to head for the AAC championship. This should be a fun one to the best defenses in the country. Cincinnati lane 14 and a half to Tulsa, the golden hurricanes. Chris, why don't you lead us off? Uh, this was a game I was looking at a couple weeks ago and I was really excited about, cause like you said, Tulsa's got a heck of a defense. They, uh, they held UCF 255 yards below their average, held UCF to 359 yards in that game, only 3.3 yards per carry, ended up winning that game by a field goal, outgained them by 123 yards. Tulsa's had the yardage edge in their last seven games. The only team that outgained them was Army, and they still won that. I'm sorry, that, that's Cincinnati I'm looking at, actually. Um, but, you know, Tulsa's been, uh, been a very consistent team. They've won their last six games. Uh, has a defensive edge, but you have some quarterback concerns with Zach Smith. But they are holding opponents 103 yards per game below their average. Um, Cincinnati was the one I was I was referring to. Uh, they had the game against UCF, held them to 359 yards. I expect it to be lower scoring. I, I still don't trust Desmond Ritter a whole lot against a great defense, and I don't think they've really played a whole lot of great defenses this year, if any. Is Army um, the the highest rated defense they played, just offhand? I would probably say so. Yeah, yeah, probably Army, because I mean UCF, their defense is just depleted with. Uh, with guys getting dismissed off the team and opt-outs before the season. And, you know, then they played like USF and SMU and Memphis, Houston, East Carolina. Not, not a whole lot of good defenses in the AAC to really speak of other than these two teams. And I, just, I think you're getting a lot of points here. You know, Tulsa's been very good this year. They did get a little lucky against Tulane. They've had enough time to prep for this game, though, and I think they'll be highly motivated. It was my pick a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to stick with Tulsa, keeping it closer than expected and uh, covering uh, was it over two touchdowns against Cincinnati. 14 and a half. Yeah, yeah. 14 and a half. Uh, you know, I, I think it's too many points uh, to probably give Tulsa here. I'm with you. I'm going to lean Tulsa, but – Man, I, I just don't trust Zach Smith. Every single time I watch this dude play, uh, for every great play this Tulsa defense makes, and Xavier Howard is a guy that's that really you could make a strong, solid case. He, he's a day-two guy, early, early day-two guy, possibly late first-round guy. If for every great thing he does, Zach Smith does something inexplicable. I, I just don't trust Tulsa. I'm staying away from the game. Bobcat, are you leaning into it or running away? I'm leaning in. I'm full tilt like a Peterbilt, baby. This is my lock of the week, so pay attention, folks. This is the battle of probably two of the most inconsistent quarterbacks we'll ever see, but a battle of the most consistent defenses we'll see in a COVID era. Let me tell you that, okay? Outstanding defenses, okay? They're both going to take the field at Nippert Stadium. Uh, this weekend it's an 8 p.m kickoff or is it friday it doesn't matter it's an 8 p.m kickoff it's either friday or saturday i'll get back to you on that i'm obviously going to have to give the edge here to desmond ritter he's rushed for 526 yards he's got 11 touchdowns uh, on the ground this year zach smith he's just a drop back passer inconsistent throwing the football same as desmond ritter like we talked about all season here on the podcast uh and you know our golden hurricanes friends of the pod uh they're only managing four yards per carry uh, so I got to give the edge here to Cincinnati. 
But my lock of the week, folks, is Tulsa plus 14 and a half here. This is a 27-17 ball game, probably a 10-7 point ball game here. I like Cincinnati winning this football game, not by a lot. Uh, I would not touch the total, uh, but, I, but I'm confident that uh, Tulsa is going to keep it within 14 and a half or 15 points. Lock All it right. All right, Bobcat. Uh, we'll go over your locks and keys later on in the show. Well, you better keep up with that one because that's my lock. Okay. Um, just redo it uh, at the end of the show as well, just in case people fast forward. Uh, Big 12 championship game, Oklahoma giving five and a half to the Cyclones, the fighting Matt Campbells. Bobcat, uh we know your affinity for Spencer Rattler. You, you love him and QB one on Netflix. You watch it over and over again. Uh, how, how much does Oklahoma win this game? by? <laughs> I like how you just like, you, you leave me off man. I am actually not a fan of Spencer Rattler guys. Uh, I am however, a fan of the Cyclones who lost to uh, coach Napier uh, and, and the Louisiana boys down there, uh, first week of the season when the fun belt punched the Big 12 right in the mouth. Uh, remember, I think it was like October 3rd, uh, Iowa State beat Oklahoma 37-30. Uh, I, I think that, you know, that was a home game for the Cyclones, uh, and they've performed better there. Uh, and they've, they've always really played the Sooners close. Uh, but the last couple of weeks, man, Oklahoma has been putting together a terrific defensive stretch. They've only given up 78 points in the last five games, which I know is a huge number if you don't really pay attention to the Big 12. Uh, but in the Big 12, 78 points over the last five games is a huge improvement. Uh, and then you have Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, I, I think he's available this weekend. Uh, I think that makes OU the, the five-point favorite. I would actually reverse line it up. I'm not going to play this game, but I would reverse line it up to to, to seven to, to maybe nine and a half points here. Uh, I like Oklahoma winning this game big, 42, Iowa State 27, man. I, I like Oklahoma getting their revenge in this game and, and taking back the, the Big 12 uh, because a little team like Iowa State doesn't deserve to be there. Roll tied on that. Hey, Chris, I want to ask you, because Bobcat brought up a good point. We see this a lot. Teams that start off the season and, you know, especially this year with COVID, you got teams that start off the year and, they, you know, it goes haywire. But by week 14, where we're at now, some of these teams are like really rolling into uh, uh, into a groove here. What do you – what do you believe in that? Like, is that, is that something you notice on a routine basis year in, year out? And, and is Oklahoma and Iowa state both kind of fit in that mold or is one going another way? Where do you think? I, it looks like they're both really hitting their stride and, and Oklahoma's obviously played their best football of the year in the last three weeks. They've held their last three opponents under 290 yards. And, and I mean, the, the, the Baylor performance, offensively was disappointing. I, I, they were kind of stuck in mud in that game that they, they really didn't move the ball very well. They got held to 269 yards. That's a pretty good Baylor defense. And Dave Aranda is a heck of a defensive coach. So I'm not surprised that Baylor, that Baylor was one of those teams that improved defensively as the season went, but it does seem like Oklahoma is a team you don't really want to play right now. Um, 
Iowa State kind of looks the same. You know, they're really hitting their stride too. That that blowout win against the West Virginia team that I have a lot of respect for. I think I know they're they can be a little inconsistent, but uh, Neil Brown had them playing this year and playing close with a lot of good teams, and they just absolutely decimated West Virginia. They had a good road win against Texas. Uh, you know, they blew Kansas State out. It was a COVID depleted Kansas State, but you know, they, they absolutely just massacred the Wildcats there. So th- they've been playing really well in their last five games. I will say that I, I, I am hesitant towards playing against Oklahoma. Our power sweep, sweep lean uh, is actually on Iowa State. I'm not as confident as the other guys in the office, though, on this game. And I, I, Oklahoma just scares me right now. I'm not thrilled about playing against them, but – you know, uh, one of the other guys I work with, Robbie DePola, who uh, joins me on the podcast at North Coast, he's a big fan of Matt Campbell, and he he is uh, he's not going to go against Matt Campbell when he's an underdog. He's six and one as a dog in the last two years in the Big Twelve. I I, I understand the his reasoning for having Oklahoma or Iowa State as the pick here. I probably would play Oklahoma myself, but I'm going to stay away from this game. It's going to be a very good game, but Oklahoma just looks scary to me right now with the way they're playing defensively. And they did shut Oklahoma State's running game down. That They've been real, doing a really good job. They're only allowing 89 rushing yards a game, 3.0 yards per carry. And if if Iowa State can't run the ball and Brees, and Brees Hall struggles, I like Brock Purdy, but, man, he makes some crazy mistakes sometimes. So I'm, I'm just going to stay away from this game altogether. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I can't make heads or tails on who I like. I, I have a gut feeling that Oklahoma is just going to um, get there at the end. And this game will be I mean, because when they played this at in Ames, I mean, Iowa State was struggling like Oklahoma started to figure out what was going on later on. I, I would lean Oklahoma here. Uh, But, yeah, once again, staying away from this. Uh, Big Ten Championship, Ohio State laying three touchdowns to the Wildcats of Evanston. Uh, Bobcat already told me his take, and it's too hot for me to start off with. Uh, I've changed my mind, though, Stu. Okay, thank Christ. You can lead off now. Oh, you want me to lead off? All right. Yeah. uh... So I've been I've been complaining for I, I guess what has it been two weeks now about the you know the Big Tens you know I guess handling or lack thereof handling of the the its own rules uh, in the six games not six games bullshit uh, but I've always stood firm behind Ohio State as one of the best four teams in the nation like hands down Texas A and M Aggies fans I'm sorry twelfth man sit the fuck down. Like, you're not Ohio State, so just sit down. You got blown out by Alabama. You were lucky to beat Florida. It's okay. Ohio State, I don't care if they played two games. I don't care. Uh, I don't like Ohio State winning this game by three touchdowns. I do like them winning this game probably around 17 to 20 points. Uh, I just think Justin Fields is too much uh, for Northwestern to keep up with. I think Northwestern is going to get some key stops because that defense is a top 10 defense in the country, maybe even a top seven, top five defense. If you look at it statistically, if they played say 10 games, like an sec schedule or an ACC schedule. Uh, But yeah, give credit where credits, where credits due. Uh, They're going to threaten them. I think in the first quarter, second quarter, 
uh, up until probably halftime. And then obviously Ohio State's going to do Ohio State things and pull away. I like Ohio State 35, Northwestern 17 in this football game. Uh, I could see maybe Ohio State getting a pick six or two, a punt return, something crazy uh, in garbage time to kind of extend this lead. I'm not going to play this game because 21 points is, is too much for me. I'm a, I'm a pussycat when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, but the hot take Stu mentioned was earlier after looking at the tape, and I know Northwestern fell. Their one loss was to Stu Sparty. Um, but I, I thought that Northwestern's defense could give Justin Fields fits. Uh, but I think that the running game has finally come on. Plus, they've had an extra week to prepare with the well, the inevitable happening. Michigan didn't want to, you know, have a hundred points scored on them like Ryan Day promised. Uh, so we'll postpone that till next year. But Ohio State's been prepping for this football game. Uh, I think they're going to pull away in in the second half. Stay away from this game. Just enjoy it. It's noon kickoff. It's the Big Ten Championship game. It's still going to be the history-filled Big Ten Championship game, uh, just with lack of fans. But, yeah, give me Ohio State, just not by 21 points, Alan. Chris, where are you going here? Well, first I'm going to say that I do have one of my one of my best bets this week is actually on the total in this game. I'll save that for later. As far as the side goes, I think Northwestern keeps us closer than expected. But not just just a little bit. I mean, they did win twenty eight to ten last week against Illinois, and they got their running game going. They they ran for four hundred and eleven yards. It was a pretty dominant performance by Northwestern's offensive line and their running backs. But I, Illinois was missing six starters on defense in that game. They had like nobody left, and it was bad weather. So it it, all, it looked like Illinois was just flat footed. Their, their guys were. Northwestern's just running through tackles left and right. Um, that being said, I think they can score a little bit on Ohio State because this Ohio State offense or defense is not what you normally expect from an Ohio State defense. They gave up 373 yards to Rutgers and 27 points. They gave up 25 points to Penn State when Sean Clifford was still their quarterback and 325 yards and. Nebraska put up 370 yards. So I think Northwestern can get in in the mid 300s and kind of hit right around their average. Um, I, I, I just think that they'll be able to score enough to keep this game close, but I just don't think they have the athletes to handle the, the Ohio state offense, which, you know, probably tips tips what I'm thinking as far as the total goes. Um, but, you know, the, I, th- I think that I, I respect Pat Fitzgerald as a coach. And I think that, They'll have his team playing their best game this week, and uh, they'll pull some tricks out to keep this game closer than expected. So I think they'll stay within 21. I had around 15, 15, 17. Yeah, I, I mean, this is the second time that these two will meet in the Big Ten Championship in the last three years. Last time, Ohio State won 45-24. And, I mean, look, I love Northwestern. This has been my team before the season. They've, they've cashed a lot of tickets for me this year, then burned them up in East Lansing. Uh, but this team, like last week against Illinois, it, it was 20-mile-an-hour wins, and everybody was forced to run the ball. Illinois is really bad. Lovey Smith has been fired. That team is just kind of going through the motions. They have not impressed me in any game this year, really. 
and Chris, we were talking a, a couple weeks ago about Northwestern, about how, you know, they don't really put up numbers. I, I think Peyton Ramsey gets respect for the sheer fact that folks know he's not uh, Hunter Green or Hunter Johnson or whatever, or, and, you know, he's not going to go colorblind and start throwing it to the other team. So they have to respect the pass a little bit. They have to respect the run a little bit. But this is like, this is a very slow, methodical team. I fully expect, I mean, it's borderline. Ohio State's going to get over 40 in this game. The question is whether you think Northwestern can pull enough tricks out to get over 20. It's the same game as a few years ago. I'm staying away from it. Uh, And uh, yeah, I'm with you guys just watching it, enjoying it. Enjoy it. It's the best noon game we got, boys. Pretty much. Uh, let's head out to the ACC. We're almost to the SEC, the only game people care about this weekend. Fake news. Uh, Fake news. We care about this one, Alan. Let's uh, do it. It's the best game of the week. Tee it up. Clemson giving 10. I, I don't even – Trevor Lawrence is worth 10 points. Nick Saban's worth two and a half, but he's worth 10 points here. Um Trevor Lawrence led Clemson Tigers, given 10 to uh, Notre Dame. Bobcat, why don't you start this one? It's a start again. All right, so this is, without a doubt, if we go back in time to 2011 when we dubbed LSU Alabama the 9-6 game, the game of the century, and then we dubbed the national championship where Alabama beat them 21-0, game of the century 2.0. This is my game of the century. I know that I'm an SEC fan at heart. I'm from SEC country. I rather watch Texas A&M and Tennessee play on any day of the week. Uh, but this game right here, after the November 7th matchup where Notre Dame got them 47-40 to in a double overtime, just awesome football game. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I think we can all agree to that. DJ ukulele i can't say his name uh came in for trevor lawrence who popped hot on his covid test he threw for over 400 yards uh i mean put up a perfect game he didn't even have an interception that game uh i think that trevor lawrence is to answer your question Stu. trevor lawrence is not worth 10 points i said after and i ate my words when i said notre dame was going to get beat down by clemson uh, I think this Notre Dame defense is legit. I think Ian Book does just enough, just enough to get the run game going. Uh, they rushed for 200-plus yards uh, in the last uh, outing in November against Clemson. Ian Book does just enough to get that run game going, to get them to respect the pass just enough, and that defense is methodical. They didn't have to do any stunts, any any disguises. They dropped, in most cases, they dropped eight and rushed three. Uh, and they gave Clemson fits all night. I know 47-40 in double overtime, but Clemson really had, you know, they got the shit beat out of them in the first two quarters, put it that way. Uh, Again, do not like Clemson giving 10, laying 10 points in this game. That is a bad bet. This is another one of my locks and keys of the week. I'm taking Notre Dame plus 10 here. Not ballsy enough to take the Notre Dame money line just yet. Catch me on Saturday morning. I might just be drunk enough to take them in the money line here. I really see this game going Clemson 31, Notre Dame 24, maybe even 28 points. I I see this game being a lot closer than anybody expects with Trevor Lawrence or not, man. Travis Etienne is not the Travis Etienne that we're used to seeing. They do not do running back by committee. 
his tires are flatter than that Grand Prix across the street, boys, in, in Pontiac, Michigan. They're, they're, they're bald. Can't even stick a penny in them. Travis Still got catalytic converters in them, though. Yeah, cut the, just cut the cat. I was about to say that. Just cut the cat off. Sell it for parts. That cat and all those precious metals in there, man, you, you're good. But Travis Etienne has regressed. He should have gone to the NFL. He's a fourth-round draft pick, and I don't think you can run on this Notre Dame defense. I really don't. I, I really, I, I, when Notre Dame makes it to the playoff, which they will, I think win or lose, Notre Dame is in the playoff. I don't care. I think Notre Dame is one of the best four teams. If they don't get blown out by 35 points, they're in it. Give me Notre Dame in this game plus 10, plus 10 and a half, plus nine, I think Notre Dame loses this game by seven, three to seven points, folks. And I said, catch me on Saturday. I might think Notre Dame is going to is going to win this ball game, because what we saw on November seventh was a near perfect DJ ukulele. I apologize. I don't know how to say his name. DJ ukulele. Ukulele. Okay. DJ had a perfect game. And you still couldn't beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame is never good in big games, but this year they're good. Give Notre Dame credit here. Ten points is a disrespectful thing to do to every Catholic on the face of this earth. Stop it. Give me Notre Dame plus ten. I don't trust Clemson. I watched the Vatek game. Chris, I know North Coast Sports was very heavy on Clemson and you know, it really took four or five turnovers, costly, stupid turnovers, and uh, poor time. It was ones. Long, easy. Uh, there was a lot of stress in that game for us. Yeah. yeah. And in that first half, Vatek held Trevor Lawrence to under 100 yards. Right. The problem with this, this Clemson team is the defense is not as good as it was last year. It might get there next year or the year after, possibly. You got a lot of young kids playing. They've had some injuries. Then you flip it and you look at this offense. They cannot get the run game going. They just can't. For some reason this year, they cannot. And as good a, a, of a wide receiver, I think Amari Rogers is. They re- it really hurts them when T. Higgins and uh, Justin Ross aren't lined up on the outside. I don't think Trevor Lawrence would have won that game in Notre Dame. And I'm starting to really look long and hard at this Notre Dame money line. But my only reservation is this, this spread opened up six points over what I thought it would be. And that scares me and it hasn't moved. And so I I'm, I'm not trying to be the smart guy in the room, uh, but this this doesn't smell right. Chris, what do you think? Uh, I'm on board with, with you, Bobcat. I, I think that Notre Dame, they, they played very well in that game, but I don't think they played over their head or anything. I just think they played to their ability, and you're right. It, that wasn't a game that Clemson lost because they were missing their quarterback. The quarterback played fine. Ui Galele or whatever the heck his name is threw for 439 yards in that game. Quarterback wasn't the issue. Like you mentioned, they can't run the ball. Etienne got held to 28 yards on 18 carries. I think there's a big issue on the offensive line with Clemson. 
They lost four starting offensive linemen from last year, and they've gone from rushing for 240 yards a game to 158, and our yards per carry has dropped by a full two yards a carry. And it's not just uh, Etienne. It's also Lynn J. Dixon. You know, he, he, he was a, a great second guy last year, and this year he's got 170 yards and 4.3 yards per carry. I do think that Trevor Lawrence, we started to see it against Virginia Tech, and I think we'll continue to see it this week. They're going to use his legs a little bit more, and he is a deceivingly uh, uh, a deceiving runner uh, when he needs to be. That, that helped him in the playoffs last year in some big games. But, you know, Notre Dame really won the game in the trenches last time, and Kyron Williams ran for 140 yards. You mentioned that Virginia Tech game. Khalil Harbor did a good job rushing the ball against Clemson. He, he ran for over 90 yards. It's just that they couldn't run the ball in the second half because Clemson finally got ahead and Virginia Tech had too many turnovers. So I think that the Irish have to feel disrespected after beating Clemson, and now you're a 10-and-a-half-point underdog. Brian Kelly will get these guys to play. They've got the defense. They've got the offensive line play. They've got some weapons. Ian Book's playing great. 12-1 to ratio uh, since since he struggled against Louisville earlier this year. So, I, like you, I'm not going to call for Notre Dame to win the game. I think Notre Dame is going to be winning this game in the fourth quarter, though, and Trevor Lawrence is going to have to pull out a little bit of fourth-quarter magic and get Clemson uh, past the Irish with a late touchdown. So, I'll, I'll call for Clemson to win the game. But Notre Dame to uh, to definitely keep this in single digits. And I'll I'll add something to that, Chris. The only reason I think Clemson wins the game, and I'm going to be very clear with you guys and and the listeners. Last week showed us with LSU and Florida that every game should be played and every game matters. And when you have Dabo Sweeney coming out and saying, oh, the ACC is not protecting us. No, without a doubt, the ACC protected you guys by both by giving you both a bye week. I also believe in my heart of hearts that the, we will see some weird calls from the officiating crew on Saturday, whether it's a pass interference or it's an illegal formation, illegal substitution, something weird will happen. And that's the only reservation I have, Stu and Chris, to both of you guys, it's the only reservation I have on playing the money line because I firmly believe in an ACC championship game where you know damn well if Clemson gets revenge, both of your ACC air quote teams are in the playoff that equals money to the conference. Even though Notre Dame's not in your conference, for the point of this season, they are in your conference and that money will be shared. So I'm, t- I'm calling it now and we'll address it next week after the weird shit that we see. That's why I'm not taking them, and I, I recommend to all of the listeners out there, do not take the Notre Dame money line. Take Notre Dame plus 10. Plus, I think it's actually going to go up to probably plus 10.5, plus 11, or minus, minus 10, minus 11 if you're a Clemson guy. But, like, take it. Like, I think this is going to be a really close game. But, on the other hand, I agree with Chris. It's going to be very close in the fourth quarter. Notre Dame's going to be leading, and something strange is going to happen that leads this fourth quarter magic. But I digress. We'll talk about it next week. Speaking of magic, we've finally arrived. 8 p.m. Lovely hot Atlanta SEC championship game. This is like, how many times is this, Bobcat? Like the fifth or sixth time this has been the matchup for the SEC championship? 
Uh, yeah, so since 1992, the first SEC championship game was Florida and Alabama, and it's I think this is the sixth meeting. Yeah, um, and Bama's coming into this laying 17 and a half. Marco Wilson and the fighting shoes from uh, uh, Gainesville, they're coming into this off of just a, a some kind of loss. Bobcat, you're you're the resident SEC uh, fanatic, whack job. What are you hearing? Uh, I know you were talking to me. There, you had some news to break, and and what's your take on how Florida's coming in? Because we already know this Bama team. I mean, I hear yeah. they roll like a yeah. Tie. So uh, I know that that uh, Stu last week when I wasn't on here, I know that I gave him the okay to to disclose from friend of a pod, one of our sources um, that works in the, the orthopedic field uh, that be on the lookout. Jalen Waddle is way ahead of schedule and could be playing sooner rather than later and will return during the season. Um, he's not going to return for the SEC championship game. Uh, there's no reason for him to, and I, I'll read this. This is as of uh, 20 minutes ago, uh, win or lose Bama's in the playoff no rush uh, and look for him to, to play in the, in the semifinal game. Uh, and then Dr. Matt Rhea, uh, who took over for, for Scott Cochran uh, at Alabama, who does strength and conditioning, but also does um, a lot of your physio physio physiology stuff. Excuse me for that. Uh, but he's been doing EMG testing on his uh, perennials, his calf, his tibialis interior during his workouts to show him how much the muscles are rehabbing focusing more on coordination and control instead of strength and like the ability to return to play. Uh, Dr. Kane, everybody's heard about Lyle, Dr. Lyle Kane. Uh, he didn't perform the surgery and the rehab. That was actually uh, Dr. Waltrip from St. Vincent's, which is Dr. James Andrews, big clinic out of Birmingham and out of uh, uh, Crestview, Florida, Pensacola, Florida. Uh, they told us about two weeks ago before, even before the video surfaced that, that Stu tweeted out, uh, hey, uh, he's making, you know, tons of strides in his rehab. He's back to running. Uh, and they gave him the the okay to return when he wants to uh, because his progression has been so great. Uh, this is totally on Waddle and Waddle only. He's still a first-round uh, talent no matter what. Uh, I think if he comes back and plays, and I think he knows this, if he comes back and plays extremely well opposite to Devontae Smith and John Mechie, uh, that it will only – you know, increase his draft stock and prove to the, to the league that uh, he can still run, you know, a sub four, three forty uh, on, on a playing field. Uh, but that, that's the update guys. He's not going to play this weekend. Uh, look for him to play in round one of the semifinals, which will probably be in Atlanta. If, if Alabama wins this weekend and remains the number one seed. But after that, I'm not giving my pick on this game until after Chris and Stu do. All right, I'll keep it simple. Uh, Florida's offense is start and go. Uh, all you got to do is pressure Trask a little bit. Uh, he's prone to mistakes. Uh, that was a depleted secondary. That was a depleted LSU team, and he struggled at home mightily. Uh, Kadarius Tony can run fast. I don't think he can outrun the safeties. Uh, their running game is not that great. Bama is just going to suffocate him. I would be surprised if Florida scores more than 20 points. 
Bama's just going to have their way with them because Florida can't stop the run. They can't stop the pass. They can't stop much right now. So give me Bama. Roll, damn, Tide. Break out your DX Venom 40 and find a tree. Chris, what do you think? Uh, first off, you know, if Florida struggled last week and lost that game, but they had been playing well every week prior, then I'd be able to accept that they just got caught looking ahead. Started in the Vandy game, brother. It did. It did. And, and I mean, really, I, they gave up 35 to Arkansas. They, you know, they had the – and they still did win that game dominantly. But, you know, the Vandy game, like you mentioned, they, they didn't look great that game. They they gave up 406 yards. Vanderbilt, I thought, moved the ball really well on them. Um, <clears throat> then Kentucky, you know, that they, they would have been losing that game at halftime if Kentucky doesn't punt the ball – uh, and not get that ball out of the field and uh, Florida get a punt return and change that game, you know, because that, that changed the momentum of that entire game because Kentucky looked like they were going to be winning at halftime. The Tennessee game, I mean, it, Tennessee did get a couple late touchdowns, but, I mean, it, it didn't feel like Florida dominated Tennessee in that game. Tennessee, I thought, I thought there was way too many quick drives. Three and outs, six and outs, yeah. uh, way too many. Uh, and then last week, you know, it finally came back to haunt them. You keep playing, you keep playing less than your best game, and eventually it's going to come back to burn you. And it did last week. They did hold a, a 191 yard edge on LSU. Trask had those two big interceptions, including a pick six. But they don't run the ball well. They, they can get gashed on the ground. They got gashed by AM earlier this year. And I remember watching that game and thinking, wow, AM is just punching them in the mouth on a few of those drives where AM was just saying, we're going to run the ball all the way down on the field on you for every play. And we don't care if you know it. And I think that Najee Harris could be in for a big game. I think that Alabama, they're just too big of a machine right now. They're rolling. I don't see how Florida is going to stop them. And, you know, the, Alabama's covered seven straight right now, and they're blowing everyone out of the water. I'm sorry, six of their – no, seven straight. Yeah, seven straight. They've covered seven straight. They're blowing everyone out of the water. Um, and one thing I've learned from working at North Coast for a while is, you know, when you're on a streak, you ride that streak. And I'm going to ride Bama like the 300-pound chick I rode in college. And my roommate was outside of the dorm room banging on the door telling me I'd regret it. Well, I'm not going to regret this one either. I didn't regret that. I don't really remember it a whole lot. But I, I can't imagine Florida's going to be able to stay with Bama. And they're not going to be able to get the stops to do it. So I'm going to go Bama. I'll lay the points. Wow, that's uh... – Getting to know your friends, I guess. That's Bob. You got any? Uh, you got a hot take on that? Uh, I got. I I got nothing hot on that. Like you, you keep riding this horse and, until you, you know, you you don't have any more water left, right? That's, that's a. You just that's keep a riding. rabbit move. Yeah, you yeah, just you not, just not as colorful as my my metaphor. <laughs> yeah, just I mean, you just keep stroking until you run out of something you know so we just we're gonna keep we're gonna keep stroking the seven game uh spread streak right keep stroking the spread 
boys. Sh trademark it. Stroke the spread. That's what we're going to do. Uh, here's a fun fact. I used to beat the hell. This is the same year. COVID is a weird year, man. I went from watching Joe Exotic to lockdown after lockdown after lockdown to bitching about Alabama's defense to now I'm about to praise them. Alabama's got 27 sacks on the year, boy. 27 sacks on the year. 20 have come in the last four games. 20 sacks in the last four games. Alabama has outscored opponents on the year, 495 to 168. That's good for Alabama scoring 49 and a half points a game and allowing just 16.8 points a game. Alabama's defense is playing out of their mind. Kyle Trask is not a dual threat quarterback that gives these Alabama football teams any problem. Kyle Pitts playing, Kyle Pitts not playing. Uh, Tony playing, Tony not playing. It doesn't matter. Alabama's going to drop eight. They're going to rush three with Fildarian Mathis right in the middle. He's going to cause you all sorts of problems. You're going to have bracket coverage on Kyle Pitts with uh, my favorite man, Jordan Battle, and my second favorite man, uh, oh, man, Malachi Moore. Excuse me. You're going to have bracket coverage there. He's going to get shut down. I think Florida might have 220 total yards of offense in the first three quarters. In garbage time, they might get another 110 yards. I'm even going to play this bet because I saw this bet. Florida under 350 yards the whole game total. I might play that bet. I might play it. I might reverse line this joker up to 28 points, 27 and a half. I might just do it. Alabama is going to beat the absolute dog piss out of Florida this year. Dan Mullen is going to go 0 and 10 against Nick Saban. This will be his 10th consecutive loss against Nick Saban. He has never beaten Nick Saban. The last week against, like Stu mentioned, a depleted. A, I mean, that's a that's an they understatement. 50, they only had 50 scholarship players on the team. Right. And this is after they lost uh, a lot of their – Yeah. This is after they lost even more players leading into the Alabama. Eric Gilbert and uh, Terrence Marshall. Bye-bye. Yeah, and this was a home game. True Alabama, <laughs> Alabama did this in Death Valley in a nighttime game. Granted, there's it's COVID. There's not a lot of fans in there, but Death Valley is Death Valley, okay? The Baton Rouge is Baton Rouge, and Alabama stopped the mud hole in them. You had home field advantage, and you let a shoe cost you the football game, and Cade York got to kick a field goal. In the fog, I you know it's 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 a it's a perfect storm. Florida, you're not real. You're not relevant. Uh, if Clemson loses again and you get stomped in, I hope that Texas A&M is that fourth team in. I hope you cry. I'm just, I'm just sorry. You shouldn't. Let, I mean, this was supposed to be a good game, guys, and now it's not. Like I was looking forward to this game, and then I watched them play last weekend, and I was just disappointed. So I I'm I'm a. Di I'm going to watch the ACC championship game. I'll probably be drunk and passed out before the second quarter of this Alabama game. I'll have to watch it Sunday morning. Roll Tide. Okay. Locks and keys. Uh, Chris, we're, we're going to start with you. Um, uh, but since John has a worse record, Bobcat, we're going to start with you. 27 and 32 on the year. Easy money. Easy money. Uh, you're – you're way behind. You're going to have to pick a lot of games. I'm only picking three games, brother. Three games. 
Okay. Well, I guess you're going to try and make it up in bowl season. I'm going to make it a bowl season. I'm going to go undefeated in bowl season. But first game, AAC championship game. Uh, we're going to take Tulsa plus 14 and a half. Easy. We discussed it earlier. It's 14 and a half, right? Still. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I think that line actually moves up to probably closer to 16 before kickoff. Which uh, is it weird. actually, well, actually it's dropped. Uh, so it opened at 15 and a half. It's dropped a full point. Um, I've even seen it as low as 14. In some okay. Spots. Okay. I've got a late addition to the card. Okay. Texas A&M money line, Tennessee. <laughs> I'm going to make it up, Stu. I'm going to make it up. All On right. the money line? Yeah, Texas A&M money line. I'm winning that. <laughs> I will give you I will give you a quarter of a win for that. You can't <laughs> yeah, bullshit. That's how what is works. Texas A&M. What are they? They the minus 1100 on the money line? No offense, Chris. Hey, but for for this, I'm taking Texas taking, A&M. Taking. Money line. All right. All right, and then we're going to the ACC Championship game. I'm taking Notre Dame plus 10. Plus 10. We talked about that. Um, staying away from the Big Ten championship game. Uh, and then last but not least is uh, the SEC championship game. I'm actually going to – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be daring here, Stu, and you hold my feet to the fire. I'm going to take Alabama 27 and a half. Bama. 27 and a half. 27 and a half. Now, yeah. here's what I'll do. That's 10 and a half points over what, what I see the line at right now. Could be 10. Right. Right. Um, I will give you credit for three wins. Oh, that's that's money. But do three I still get my Texas A and M money line? A ten per a ten point reverse line deserves that. Uh, Late addition um, to the card as well. One more. Okay. UAB money line at Marshall for the Conference USA Championship game on Friday. I got to go with my University of Alabama at Birmingham. Still the UA system, baby. We're going to take that money line. We're going to do it. We're going to beat the herd. Money line. I, I like it. But that's it. That's all I got. Unless you wanted me to do Air Force Army, which I <laughs> – You know what? I'm going to – another late addition to the card, boys. I'm taking the Air Force money line okay. at Army. <laughs> so much for three plays. I got to catch up, Chris. But that's it. I'm done with that. I'm that's done. Fair. I'm retired. Okay. Uh, Chris, 17 and 12, uh, a big week for you last week, going three and one, barely missing that Mississippi State uh, cover. Um, Gus Malzahn got fired because you missed that cover. So where are you going this week, my friend? All right. Uh, I'm going to start with Bama. I, for the reasons I gave earlier, I don't think I need to rehash it. Um, you probably don't want me to either. <laughs> Uh, next, I'm going to go to the Ole Miss LSU game. And if this isn't the highest scoring game of the SDC season, it is the highest scoring total. And it's currently sitting at 77 and a half. But I will take the over in Ole Miss versus LSU. These are two defenses that have just leaked like a sieve all year. Uh, Ole Miss gives up points to anybody they play, but the offense will score on anybody. We saw last week that LSU's offense, you know, 
even without Terrace Marshall and Eric Gilbert, they can move the ball. They can score some points, especially against a uh, much worse defense than they're going to see than they saw last week. So I think that uh, I, I can see a hundred points in this game. I, I really could. Uh, so I'm going to go with the over in LSU, LSU and Ole Miss. Um, I, I referred earlier to a Big Ten game I'm going to look at, or the, for the uh, play I'm going to look at in a Big Ten championship total. I'm going to go with the over, and uh, for a couple reasons I mentioned, I think that you know if you look at the Ohio State defense, they've given up points to teams like Rutgers, 27 points and 373 yards against Rutgers. I, I think that in a game like this, Northwestern I think will fall a little bit behind. They'll have to open their offense up a little bit to, to try to keep up in the end. And Pat Fitzgerald will pull out all the stops, any trick play he has in his book. They're going to have to do anything they can to score points and keep up because I don't think they can hold Ohio State to you know less than 30. So they're going to have to try to score some points. The last time these two teams played was uh, 2018's Big Ten Championship game. An interesting thing about that game was uh, that year Northwestern averaged – uh, 354 yards a game and 24 points a game. This year, it's the same offense, 351 yards a game, 25 points per game. And that game easily went over uh, the 61-point total. It was 45-24. And this year, you the total's actually lower. It's only 57. It's dropped a couple points since it came out. So I think that game will go over. Um, and the last game I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give out is uh, – a random big 12 game, but I think Wisconsin, I'm sorry. I think Penn, I'm going to go back to Penn state. I know uh, I've been kind of riding them, even though they didn't have a great performance last week, but what I saw out of Illinois last week was they have no bodies in their defensive line left. And last week they, they, they didn't get beat as bad as they probably could have because it was bad weather and Northwestern just doesn't have a very explosive offense. Penn state's offense is a little bit more explosive and Illinois just fired their head coach. They they have they were missing both their defensive tackles last week as a COVID. Twenty one day rule says most of those guys, if not all of them, probably are not going to be back. So I just think that Penn State's going to cut through them like butter. Same reasons I've gone with Penn State every week for the last three weeks. Uh, so those are my four plays this week: Bama, the LSU, Ole Miss over, uh, Penn State. And uh, the fourth play was Ohio State Northwestern over. Well, look, I I, uh, I don't want to mince words. Uh, you almost copied everything I had. Um, so I have the over LSU Mississippi. By the way, forty-one and thirty-three, eight games over five hundred. Chris, you're doing great. Five games over. 500. So this is nip and tuck right here. And I think I got a couple more plays that, uh, that you could really catch up here. Uh, but I, I like the board this week. Uh, like I said, over 77 and a half LSU Mississippi, uh, taking the under an air force army. This is just as like, eh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't trust either offense really. And I know air force is much better than navies and you're kind of playing with fire here, but, uh, it's just two option teams. So I'm, I'm going to play it. Um, Penn state laying the 14 and a half. Like you said, Illinois is just really bad. I'm taking Maryland provided provided uh, Chris is Talia was Talia taken out for COVID reasoning. 
they said illness and that's all they'll say. I, you can read one into what that, you know, what you want. They also were missing one, uh, one, of, their, uh, one of their starting linebackers, I believe one of their top tacklers. I, my guess is that it was COVID related, but they won't say for sure. They just said, quote, illness. So may, uh, I really love the line here, minus two and a half to Michigan State. Uh, I think Michigan State is is a pretty – at this point, they can score some points and they can be competitive. I, I just think Maryland's got a little bit more talent. But I, I'm going to possibly take that off the card pending what the injury report looks like and if Talia's playing or not. So that that's pending. Uh, give me Bama first half. Give me Bama game. Uh and I will go to the Mac, the Buffalo Bulls, Khalil Mack's own Buffalo Bulls. I mean, the Bills are going to the Super Bowl. Might as well take the Bulls to win the Mac. Mac is war. Bulls laying 13 to Ball State. Um, so, yeah, that's my card for – oh, uh, also I'm going to take Marshall Moneyline and Army Moneyline. Uh, light call. <laughs> like All right. Lines. Uh, just late additions to the card. I was looking and I forgot to write those down. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, always a pleasure. Hopefully we'll have something for Christmas week for the good folks. Uh, we'll, we'll record something up real quick, uh, just to get us through the week or, or do something. Chris, maybe you, uh, I don't know, send an owl to my house or something. You can give me your picks and, uh, Bobcat, I know where you live, and you ain't doing much. So we're gonna we're gonna do a Christmas special where we give gifts. I'm gonna come up with cool names of each award. We're gonna meet Stu, Chris, and myself. We're gonna meet, deliberate, and award specific college football players for these cool awards because it's gift season. We might even get something customized and send to their school. I don't know at StuCast on Twitter and let us know. That sounds like a great way to have uh, federal authorities looking into what we're doing. So exciting, exciting times. Uh, Chris will not be down for that. Chris, uh, what will you be up to next week? And, and where uh, can people find NC sports again? Uh, next weekend, I'm, I'm hoping to see family. We'll see, uh, see how this goes over the next week. It's been kind of a, Interesting few weeks here, but uh, should be a lot of fun watching these football games this weekend. Uh, as far as North Coast sports, you can check us out on ncsports.com. Uh, also, you can call if, you, if you're interested in jumping in on one of our late phone packages, you can call us at 1-800-654-3448. Our college late phones, I just do want to throw this out real quick, have been absolutely on fire this year. 46, 29, and 2, 61%. If you just wanted to get our top college side of the week, we're hitting 13 and two on that play this year. Uh, 87%. Full disclosure, we were lucky as hell last week because it was USC. But uh, previous three weeks, we had blowout wins on Clemson, Alabama, and Oklahoma. So uh, it's been a great year for our late phones. Uh, NFL game of the year is this weekend. So that's exciting. I will tell you that our NFL plays have been less than stellar 
but I do think that we're going to do well this weekend in the NFL. I, I trust our guys. He's just, he's just had a rough year in the NFL. It's been really weird handicapping the NFL for him. Um, but you can also check me out on Twitter at Chris V one six zero at Chris V one six zero. Also power sweep podcast. Uh, you guys do a good job. I, I enjoy listening to that. That's, that's required Thursday gym sesh listening. Um, and I know the Bobcat listens as well. So uh, go find Appreciate that wherever it. you're finding this podcast. It's really good. Yeah, I listen and I when I come on the show, I just pick opposite to be different. Like Stu does. <laughs> Stu's like, oh, late addition to the card. Just pick opposite to be different. You know, it's funny. I was telling Chris last week, maybe you didn't listen because you were out busy doing things. Uh you know, I, my late additions to the card are actually undefeated this year. They are undefeated. I, I heard that. I heard yeah. that. I, yeah. I know. Because all of my... I don't know ad- what inspires me. I really don't know what inspires me. Look, it, it's like Tiffany's. I'm like your Colin Countered. I have the hottest of hot takes. I have friends in Cleveland. They love me in Cleveland. I hate Baker Mayfield. I am Colin Countered. Okay. Well, maybe you could just go to work and start claiming his ideas as your own and claim you're an elite football mind. I am an elite football mind. I don't have to. Apparently. (laughs) Father of the year, too. I'm not even a father yet, but I claim it. (laughs) That's a little bit too hot to handle. For Chris, for Bobcat, we will be back next week. Uh, Enjoy the Alabama championship uh, title ceremony whatever they're calling it. Um, But until next time, we are out.